It's 12.08. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. Let's get started. By the way, we are back by popular demand. Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. We'll do it for the first segment or two of the program. So you can check it out and you can participate in that fashion as well. In addition, we're very much on social media. I've got, I've got all these different screens that are open. Um, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. You can get a head start on some of the things that we're going to be talking about during the course of the show. I try to send out multiple tweets every morning and bringing it all together, both on Twitter and Facebook.com slash 620. You WTMJ, we get to the leadoff topic today. During the show yesterday, I had an opportunity to briefly review the 12-page charging document that was introduced yesterday against Jake Thomas Patterson. He is the guy who allegedly, and let me just say allegedly at the beginning, and then you can read in anything else we talk about during the segment, understand that the word allegedly would be in front because everybody is innocent until proven guilty by the state. The state has the burden of proof. All right. So according to the criminal complaint, and these are allegations, Jake Thomas Patterson fixated on this Jamie Kloss. He saw her get on or get off a, a school bus and by his own admission decided he, he was going to take her. Then apparently went over to the house on a couple different occasions for the purpose of, of kidnapping her and was discouraged by a couple different things that happened. So anyhow, he goes back and that night in mid-October, the, the story is that the, the family is awakened, the dog is barking, they see this car pull up into the driveway, the dad goes to the door and is is executed by Jake Thomas Patterson. Meanwhile, the mom and Jamie have retreated to the bathroom. Jake Thomas Patterson goes into the, the bathroom, kicks in the door, confronts the two of them, and then murders the mother, abducts Jamie Kloss, and, and everybody knows the story from that point. You know, keeps her hostage for going on the better part of 90 days. She's ultimately able to free herself. Uh, the criminal complaint does not talk about in any sort of great detail what happened during those those 90 days. And, and I'm not going to speculate here other than to say, you know, it is possible that there, there there might be an amended criminal complaint if there was other criminal activity. And we'll just leave it at that. But what you have right now is a, an incredibly brutal pair of murders and an unthinkable sort of kidnapping by a guy who appears to be a complete and total psychopath. And and there's no, I think, other way around that as you read the criminal complaint. In Wisconsin, we do not have the death penalty. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We do not have the death penalty. And some people say, well, that's because we're, we're, we're just better people. The death penalty is inappropriate. You have a situation where maybe there's always the potential that some innocent person could, you know, be subject to, to that. All right. Let us take a case like this. And let us assume, again, for the sake of argument, that the state is able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Jake Thomas Patterson did what he apparently has confessed to doing and what all the evidence suggests. Brutal murder in cold blood of two people and the abduction of this 13-year-old girl. 
Right now, the maximum penalty he could receive is life in prison without the possibility of parole. So he's, what, 21 years old? I don't know. For the next 50, 60, 70 years, he will be, if convicted, a guest of the taxpayers of the state of Wisconsin, where he will receive three meals a day and access to exercise and libraries and things like that. My question is, are cases like this examples of why We should rethink the fact that we do not have a death penalty for certain types of cases. And that would be a case where you have the, again, you have the the circumstance showing a complete disregard for life. 414-799-1620, are these the extraneous circumstances? And is this a case where the death penalty would be appropriate? And is this something that we should be reexamining in Wisconsin? And I understand there's some people who don't like that. They're uncomfortable with this idea. But when you have a situation where it is an incredibly brutal crime, the person who committed is a complete and total psychopath. Could you ever return this guy to society? I think not. Explain to me why the death penalty is inappropriate. 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. Again, um, facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. You can participate and watch us do the show in that fashion. But let's talk about it. Death penalty in Wisconsin, is this the type of case that screams out for why we should have it? 1214, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you read the criminal complaint against the abductor of Jamie Kloss and the murderer of her two parents, you you, you get the guy is a monster. He is just an absolute monster. He's also 21 years old. If he is convicted, he will be looking at life in prison without the possibility of parole, which means the taxpayers for the next 50, 60, 70 years, whatever, are going to afford him three meals a day and exercise and the ability to watch TV and access to a prison library. All right, my question is, for cases like this, with these type of extenuating circumstances, isn't this the type of case that screams for the death penalty? And my answer is, it is. Let's start with Tom in Wauwatosa. Tom, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, Tom. Hi. Hi there. What do you think? Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I agree with the death penalty, especially um, even even um, if it's first degree. We, we have DNA today. We didn't used to have DNA, you know, mm-hmm. during the 80s and prior to that. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, just, just yeah. agree with the death penalty. It's first degree murder. But in this case, it's even torture, the way she was tortured for months on end and um, not just the barbarism of it right well i mean thanks see that that's it i mean it it is i mean if you look at the states that have the death penalty there needs to be some sort of extenuating circumstance and 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 this this case screams extenuating circumstances but the reality is i mean the the mom and the death penalty wouldn't be imposed because of the kidnapping that's not a capital offense but it would be imposed because of the brutal murder the slaying of the mother and the father and then all the surrounding circumstances 414-799-1620 and again you can participate we're back up it's facebook.com slash 620 wtmj 414-799-1620 blake in milwaukee blake you're on wtmj Hello. Hey, uh, first time caller. Um, I, I don't think you should get the death penalty, and honestly, it's just because I think that's too easy for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, in an instant, he's he's gone. His suffering is over. I think this is the kind of extenuating circumstance where you put this guy in solitary confinement. Mm-hmm. So, give him three square meals a day. I'll pay for that. No entertainment. No TV. 
lock him in a cell and let him rot away. But the death penalty, I think, is too easy for him. It's too quick, and he's done. But let me give you the reality, though. that That's not going to be what happens. I mean, you're not going to be able to keep him. He, he's not going to be in solitary confinement for the next 30 or 40 years. That would be determined to be cruel and unusual. I mean, he's, he's going to be – now, obviously – I don't know that you're going to put him in the general prison population because of of the nature of this crime and things. But but you you can't just you can't just lock him up and forget about him. There'll be all sorts of civil rights lawsuits that are there. So the option is you treat him like a regular prisoner, or you say the crime is sufficient for the death penalty. But you said the the death penalty isn't legal in Wisconsin, and neither is this cruel and unusual punishment. I'm saying there's extenuating circumstance where we need to reexamine the law. I got it. Okay, okay. I, cruel and unusual punishment. Okay, fair enough. I mean, th- thanks for the call. I mean, I, I that that probably be, because it, it's in the Constitution, that probably isn't going to happen. I mean, you're, I mean, I, I remember back when I was chasing drug peddlers and bank robbers and things like that. I, I had some criminologists explain to me, well, Jeff, you have to understand. We don't send people to prison for punishment. We send people to prison as punishment. And that's why, you know, you, you they're entitled. They have all these basic entitlements and rights. And I, I, I understand that. And, and that's, that is not going to change, I think, unless you change the Constitution. Having said that, though, I continue to believe that the death penalty is appropriate for cases like this. 414-799-1620. Jim in Milwaukee. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you think? I agree with you 100%, but the only problem I have is whenever they put somebody on a death penalty, years and years and years go by for whatever reason, and they're not killed. You know what I mean? Oh, I yeah. Mean, no, no. You're, you're, you, you raise a very, very good point. I mean, uh, if the, I, look, I don't know if the death penalty has a deterrent effect or, or not. You know, I, I, I don't know. But I, I do know that if you have somebody that can, like, lang- languish on, on death row for 15 or 20 years, you're right. There, there's, there's no sort of deterrent effect at all. No, thanks. That's why I, I think if you have to implement the death penalty, you have to create a, a special fast track program where you you make these cases a priority look and and i understand that you know you you don't want to execute an innocent person i get that and that's why you have to make sure that the case gets every possible review you have to make sure that there's no chance that this is a case where you're sending an innocent person to the electric chair or or whatever or whatever the lethal injection i guess is what they use nowadays so that but i appreciate that right the idea of saying we're going to have the death penalty and then letting somebody sit on death row for 15 or 20 years kind of defeats any sort of deterrent purpose and any sort of punishment purpose that's why i think you spe- set up a special system and you say all right look we we want to make sure that this person gets every potential review but we want to make sure that it is done in a timely fashion 414-799-1620 let's talk to donna in milwaukee donna you're on wtmj hello hi Hi, how are you good what do you think um in a circumstance like this i would say absolutely the death penalty um i i in, in some cases where there's eyewitnesses and there's no DNA, I would say, well, mm-hmm. that's circumstantial. In a case like this, absolutely, positively, mm-hmm. the death penalty. Yeah, and see, and that's what, I mean, obviously, 
every first degree intentional homicide case, for example, isn't going to, in my opinion, call for the death penalty. Absolutely. And, and I'm also sensitive to what you're talking about, a, a situation where, all right, eyewitness testimony can be screwed up or, yeah. or maybe there's maybe there is some some remote question. But in in a case like this where you've got. You've got the confession. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you've got a confession. What more can you get? Right, I mean, ex- right. you've got a confession. Everybody knows he did it. Right, including him, and he says including he says he did him, it. And right. he admitted to it. Right, see, that's... Now, what can be more... Right. How can you be more guilty? Right, right. Th- thanks for calling. And I guess, and those are the situations where, but, but even at that, I, I think he has every right to a, a full review. All right, what, was the confession coerced? Did, you know, all those different types of things. You know, give him his full panoply of legal rights. I am not talking about a rush to judgment or trying to railroad somebody, but I am saying in a case like this, where you have a monster, and yes, this man is a monster, where you have a monster, I think it is inappropriate, and I, I don't think it is justice to say, all right, here's what you've done. for you, you know, you, You've committed this heinous crime. The, the parents are never going to see another sunrise. This young woman has been, I mean, forever psychologically scarred by what has happened in this fashion. And, you know, as punishment, well, the taxpayers of the state of Wisconsin are going to give you three meals a day and access to an exercise room and you know you get to watch tv and you get to do all those things and go to the library the prison library and cultivate whatever habits you want to and we're going to pay for that for the next 30 40 50 60 70 years i don't think that's justice i think for some crimes the ultimate penalty is called for and, and candidly i i think this is this is one of them rod and mequon roger on wtmj good afternoon Good morning, Jeff. Hi, um, you are correct. Hi, you are correct when you say that crimes like this justify the death penalty, and I agree with you. However, we can't have the death penalty anymore because of the endemic corruption within the officials, the government employees and officials who work within the criminal justice system. There's about four to six percent of the adult inmate population of the United States who've been wrongfully convicted, mm-hmm. and there's been people plucked from the clutches of death row hours before their death. Because in government corruption, government misconduct is a leading cause of these wrongful convictions. Mm-hmm. Well, see, that's why, I mean, what you have to do is, is you have to, if, if I were the king in setting this up, it would be that, that two-part process that I that I just kind of outlined. All right, because it's got to be applied in cases where there's absolutely no question of the guilt of the person that's involved. and And that's why... You, you end up saying, okay, we're going to create, maybe it's even create a special review process that, that's out there for these type of cases where we guarantee that, all right, there's really good appellate lawyers that, for example, come in and get a chance to, you know, represent the accused because you want to make certain that there's no chance that you're talking about somebody who is, in fact, not guilty. But for that percentage of people, that, like this particular case, and assuming the state's able to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, to me, for that small percentage of cases, this is why I think the death penalty continues to be appropriate. And I believe that you could design a system which meets the concern that you have about, gee, we don't want some innocent person getting framed by law enforcement a la, like, 
the Shawshank Redemption movie or whatever. We don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen either. But I will tell you, in a case like this, and this is all I kept thinking when I was reading that criminal complaint yesterday. I'm reading it page after page after page, and I'm thinking, this guy is a monster. And when he is convicted, his penalty is essentially going to be we're as taxpayers are going to be subsidizing subsidizing admittedly in confinement but subsidizing his lifestyle for the next however many decades it's 12:27 Jeff Wagner WTMJ thanks for participating on Facebook live we'll do it again tomorrow 12:27 Jeff Wagner WTMJ it's 12:36 Jeff Wagner WTMJ the uh, hearings involving Attorney General nominee Bill Barr, William Barr, are going on. I, my, my guess is he's going to – there's always going to be controversy, and, of course, it'll probably be potentially a party-line vote. But my guess is that he will he will be appointed as the next Attorney General, the replacement for Jeff Sessions. I, I mentioned this a while ago. I, I, I've, I know William Barr from back in the old days. He was at the U.S. Department of Justice – the first time around when when I worked there for the U.S. Attorney's Office here in Milwaukee, and he was the attorney general. He was uh, the first President Bush, Bush's, George H.W. Bush's. He was his final attorney general. So he and I, I, I forget. And but before that, he had been he had been an, in the executive office for U.S. attorneys. And I, I had an opportunity to meet him a couple of times. And I, I always thought he was a, a real straight shooter. And I and I understand I understand it's tough to believe people that that anybody could be honest in government nowadays. But, I, I mean, I think he is a good choice as the attorney general. My big question is why at his age, at this point in time, and he's in his mid-60s, why why he's wants to come back to the Department of Justice given, you know, the, the temperament and the temperature and everything that's going on in, in Washington. My bigger question would be, why are you doing this as opposed to are you qualified to do it? But my guess is that he will pass and it won't be too incredibly controversial. All right. This is an issue that is controversial. It is not a partisan issue, at least in my opinion. It doesn't cut along Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal lines. It's it's a bipartisan sort of issue. And candidly, I think some of the legislators who oppose this are are way beyond where the public is on this issue. Now, remember a number of years ago when we had the concealed carry debate in Wisconsin, and there were people who said, Oh, my God, if you allow law-abiding citizens to carry concealed firearms, it is going to be the Wild West. It's going to be carnage. And one of the arguments, I, I always thought that was a ridiculous argument, and it's proven to be a ridiculous argument. But one of the things I always said is, hey, you know, there are, at the time, there are 48 other states who, in one form or another, allow some form of legal concealed carry. And you don't have... Those concealed carry holders shooting up, you know, the, the states and creating and committing the serial murders and things like that. And so my argument always was, why do people who are making that particular claim about concealed carry, why do you think that Wisconsin is particularly more bloodthirsty than the other 48 states that, that already have some form of concealed carry? And, of course, we adopted concealed carry, and it hasn't led to blood on the streets. Well, all right, here, here's the flip side of this is another variation of an issue. It is it is drunk driving. Now, in Wisconsin, drunk driving continues to be a huge, huge problem. 
I, I think, um, you know, if you look at the numbers, you find that we have a disproportionate, in comparison to our size, we have a disproportionate amount of people who are convicted of drunk driving. For example, we're 20th in population. But we rank consistently among the top 15 states for drunken driving arrests every year going back to 2005, all right? From 2005 to 2009, we ranked in the top 10 for DUI arrests. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that. It's the drinking culture, number one. Number two, it is the fact that in some parts of the state, some of the more rural areas, you, you have further to go, for for example, from your home to the tavern, so you have people that use their cars. But, but whatever, we have a disproportionate number of people who get busted for drunk driving in comparison to the population. We are the only state in the country, mark the tape on that, the only state in the country, Mississippi, Arkansas, U- Alabama, you name it, all the other states, every other state in this country makes first offense drunk driving a crime. We are the only state in the country for which first offense drunk driving is essentially it is an it is an ordinance violation. It is a civil forfeiture. It is the equivalent of a traffic ticket. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, if. You get caught first offense drunk driving. It, it can be nasty. There's a nasty fine that goes along with it. Your driver's license gets suspended. Um, you, depending on how high your blood alcohol level is, you might have to have, you know, one of those breathalyzer things that is ignition interlock things that you blow into. Your insurance rates are going to go up. So, I mean, there are consequences for getting busted for first offense drunk driving, but it is not a crime. There's no jail time that comes with this, no matter how drunk you are or no matter how reckless you are, you're, 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 you're not going to be subjected to a loss of liberty. Jim Ott, my former colleague here at WTMJ, WTMJ meteorologist for forever, now a guy in the state legislature who's been there for well over 10 years, and State Senator Alberta Darling, state senator representing kind of the North Shore area, they have been these kind of voices crying out in the wilderness, pushing to make first offense drunk driving a crime, along with all the other 50 states. And they're back but the problem is they haven't been able to get any traction. And this, again, I, I'm not – this isn't partisan. You've got legislative leaders, Republicans, who don't want to do it. Why don't want they want to do it? Well, there's a couple things. First of all, you've got some powerful lobbying groups like the restaurant lobby and stuff like that who are afraid that if you criminalize this, you might pe- make people even less likely to have that extra drink in a bar, All right, which then might hurt business, to which I would say – Okay, so what? If that stops somebody from getting out on the road because they're afraid that they might have to do two weeks in the county jail, is that really a, a, a bad thing? But you've got powerful lobbyists. You've got district attorneys. Believe it or not, there are district attorneys across the state who say, well, we, we don't want to have first offense drunk driving criminalized because if it's a crime, we have to handle it. Whereas now, as a municipal ordinance, like a city attorney or somebody else will handle it. So we don't want the, the work. So there's some of that going Going on there, and there's some people who just simply make the argument, well, you know, we don't want to ruin people's lives for for one mistake, and so we don't want it to be a crime. 
All right. Well, Jim Ott and Alberta Darling are back. They've got a new proposal that would make all first-time operating while intoxicated convictions a misdemeanor crime punishable by up to 30 days in jail. And here's what it does to deal with the, all right, the guy made a mistake or the gal made a mistake and had that one two beer too many at the fish fry. What it says is that conviction could be expunged and changed back to a civil forfeiture if you go five years without another drunk driving conviction. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, let's tee this up because this... Again, this isn't Republican or Democrat. It's not conservative or or liberal. To me, it's a matter of appropriate punishment and public safety. Should we remain the only state in the country where first offense drunk driving is not a crime? 414-799-1620. And by the way, I'm not suggesting that every first offense drunk driver needs to go to jail for 30 days. I'm not. At the same time... There might be situations where, where maybe maybe that would be appropriate for a week or two, you know, in a county jail. And I think judges should have that discretion. 414-799-1620. I'm with Senator Darling. I'm with Representative Ott on this one. Let's start with Al in Wales. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello. Hi. I love your show. Thank you. I don't always agree with your politics, but I just want to talk about the Tavern League's position in this question. Every time we've tried to do something along this line, not necessarily make first offense such a crime, but everything else, they have uh, spent a lot of money in lobbying our state legislators. And your screener asked me if I had any proof. No, I don't have any proof. No, no, you're right. No, the, the, the Tavern League, Restaurant Association, there are powerful groups out there who don't want to see this happen. Absolutely. Of course it goes on. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and I think that we should make it a crime. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, no, I don't I'm, I'm know. with you. No, thank, thanks for calling. No, I'm, I, I'm with you. I mean, th- this is, to me, this is not an example of common sense. This is just like what we talked about the other day. We talked about the minimum markup law, or the Unfair Sales Act. Well, I don't think there's anybody that really thinks it's a good idea, except some of these very, very powerful lobbying groups who shower money on legislators who, for example, you know, you, they don't, they they want that protection. They don't want to have the competition that getting rid of the minimum markup law would be. And this is the same way. Again, you've got, again, very powerful entities, whether it's Restaurant Association or Tavern League or other groups, who say, okay, well, if it's a, you make it a crime, that might discourage this behavior. It might cause people to not drink as much. Or And, and to which my response would be, okay, well, if, if that discourages people from getting behind the wheel of a car when they're drunk, Fine. Isn't isn't that a good thing? 414-799-1620. Let's start. Let's talk to Jeff in Waukesha. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It it doesn't address the problem. The problem is the repeat habitual offender drunk driver. You know, the guy who's driving home from dinner with his wife who gets pulled over and he blows a point oh nine. He's just a shade over. Mm -hmm. That guy's not going to repeat again anyway. It's the guy who goes out. He, it doesn't matter. First offense, if it's going to be a criminal or civil, civil forfeiture, he's going to continue to do it. I think mandatory jail time on the second offense is would address the problem much better. And, and it has to be mandatory. So that way, if he ends up in the Milwaukee County court system, they have no control over it. He has to go to jail. Okay. Now, uh, let's break this down, Jeff, because I, I want you to understand. If you, I don't. 
I don't disagree with some of the stuff that you're saying about getting tougher on the repeat drunk drivers. And, and I agree with you. If you look at a lot of the catastrophic, for example, alcohol-related crashes out there, it, it, it isn't the first offender. It's the guy with the six or the seven eight or eight criminal convictions who's back out on, on the road and doing it again. So I get that. But what is the, in your opinion, what is the downside to being like all other the 49 other states and saying, okay, drunk driving is a crime, period, whether you've done it once or whether you've done it eight times? I, I don't think there's a downside to it, but there's, there's no upside to it. It doesn't address the problem. Well, know, they, they could do that. Okay, fine. But is that, it's not going to stop a guy that goes out two, three, right. four times and finally eventually, you know, crashes into a carload of uh, right. a family and kills uh, you know a mom and dad and a couple of kids or something that's it, not addressing that right problem. right it right it does right thanks for, no I, I and I, I don't disagree I, I understand whether you for the person who's going to be the hardcore drunk driver who's going to do it regardless it, it doesn't change that and and I and I get that at the same time I guess I look and I think all right Let's take that first offense drunk driver and and let's say there's some there's something that's out there, some reason for the person. I don't know. Maybe maybe 10 days in the county lockup. Maybe that does discourage them from going out and and from doing it a second time. And, And yeah, I understand there's a certain stigma stigma. Now, it's a misdemeanor. It's not a felony, but it's a misdemeanor. But maybe there's that other thing, that person that you're talking about, the the one who's had too many, the the one too many beer and has got the point you know, zero nine or, or point one, just slightly above the, the legal limit, who ends up getting pulled over, who um, is embarrassed and wants wants to get rid of that conviction. Well, under the bill that they've got, hey, if you go five years without you know having a repeat instance, well, that's a then then, then again, it switches from a crime and it essentially comes off your record or it goes to a civil forfeiture. So you don't have the stigma of that conviction that's hanging there. Maybe just maybe that might be a deterrent to doing this. In, in any event, there, there's a lot of battle over this. And, and I don't know if the time I don't know if the time is right for this or not. And I also appreciate that the, the real carnage on the highways is caused by the repeat drunk drivers and the folks that are out there just blind drunk. I, I get that and I understand it. But to me, you know, getting behind the wheel of the car when you've had too much to drink is it's a crime and, and it should be criminal. And I don't understand if we say second offense drunk driving is a crime. Why? intellectually, why would we say first offense isn't? I mean, it's the same thing. You've had too much to drink. You've gotten behind the wheel of the car. Why do we give you essentially a pass the first time? You do it once. The second time you do it, everybody agrees it's a crime. Why do you get the pass the first time? We don't say... All right, the first time you rob a, a liquor store, all right, we're going to treat that as a we're going to treat it as a civil forfeiture. But then you go back and you do it a second time, you're going to get a felony. I've just never understood this. I, I I haven't. I don't know what the ultimate impact would be, but it seems to me it couldn't hurt. Twelve fifty, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Twelve fifty three, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Hey, if you follow me, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. You get a head start on some of the things we're going to talk about in the next hour. Gillette is out with this. Well, it, it's I guess it's an ad, but it it's uh 
It is a big sloppy wet kiss towards the Me Too movement. It's creating a, a lot of controversy. If you follow me at Twitter, I've got a link to the the entire one minute and 48 second commercial that they have produced. We're going to play the audio of that, but it really also helps if you if you see the, the video. That is coming up. I you know, I, I always hate to say I told you so, but well, sometimes I don't. I this, there, Milwaukee, back in about a year or so ago, passed this ordinance that was called a deconstruction ordinance. What that said is if you if you had an older property, like a property that was either historic and or built before 1930, and you wanted to tear it down, you, you couldn't just tear it down. What you had to do is go through this deconstruction process, which required you to essentially have the house systematically taken apart and the materials recycled instead of being buried in a landfill. All right, that's that's what the ordinance did. It turned out to be a complete and total failure because what happens is it, it takes three, four, five times as long. Instead of just saying, okay, let's get the demo crew in here and let's kick in the walls and then let's haul off the stuff, what you had to do is you had to hire all sorts of different people to come in and say, gee, can we salvage the sink? Gee, can we salvage the piping? What, whatever. It added to the cost exponentially, and it delayed the whole process. And so what they found, and it only took them about a year to find this, was that by using this deconstruction ordinance, well, you, you had all these these falling down vacant eyesore properties that instead of leveling them like they should happen, well, well, nothing was happening because the people either you know didn't have the money to do it or it just took so long to do it. So... I'm recognizing that just a year ago they made a huge, huge mistake. Uh, yesterday, the Common Council voted to freeze this particular ordinance. In other words, never mind. I, I, I remember a variation of this when I lived in Whitefish Bay. When I first bought the house, it had three giant oak trees. These oak trees go back to – they went back to like the Civil War. One – and this is over the decades I owned that house. One died, had to take it down. Then there's a rainy Saturday night. I will never forget. It's a rainy Saturday night. The doorbell rings. The police officer is at the door, and they say, do you realize that your tree has come down across the road? And I look, and it had been one of these things. It was in June that it had been raining for like a week, and the tree always listed a little, and the ground just got saturated, and it just came over. Now, thankfully, it didn't come over on anybody's house. Thankfully, it didn't come over on any cars. Thankfully, it didn't hit anybody. But it's like laying, starting in my front yard, and it's laying over to the boulevard. And this is like this 40-foot tree. What do you do with a 40-foot tree that, that's out there? So <laughs> I, I remember calling the guy that did the landscaping. and said, you got to help me get rid of this. He said, well, i got a couple names. So the first guy comes over, and he was affiliated at UWM. He said, oh, this tree goes back to, like, 1840. We'd really like to study it. We can cut it into sections. We can come over. We can look at it. And I'm thinking, cut it into sections, look at it. No, I, I want it gone. Second guy came over who, and got me. I said, I just want this tree gone. I mean, I, I don't want this to be a three-week science project. And I ended up giving the contract to the guy who took it away in, in two days. That's the same thing with the house. You've got this house that's falling down. All right, I don't want it up for, again, three months to find different people to pick through it to determine if they can salvage some piping, tear the darn thing down, get rid of it. And the city of Milwaukee has come around to that. Well thought out, not well thought out, well intentioned. The deconstruction ordinance has been frozen. All right, 1257. When we come back, Gillette's new ad, it's not about shaving. It's about men in the age of Me Too. 
And how does this shutdown end? Stick around. So all coming up, 1257, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 108, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric, this is a story about what a what a small, weird world it is. right? You were, your lead story was that they've got the guy from Franklin who is accused of killing the, the two men mm-hmm. and then burnt, leaving their charred bodies, their remains, in- remains found in like this burn pit. I mean, again, it, it's... <laughs> Welcome to Wisconsin. I mean, it, it's just like, it does seem like we have more than our share of sort of psychotic and strange murders. But anyhow, this is my connection to this. Okay. So last Friday night, um, I, and it, it's, it's okay, last Friday night I have a party to go to. It was an adult baby shower um, at very close friends of my wife. Um, and it, it, was, it, it's, it was their kid. But it was at another place in McGuanago. Okay. So, I mean, it, it, actually, it was a very, very nice party. I, I knew almost nobody, but I had a great time. Everybody was very embracing and stuff. But as it turns out, this home I went to is like a quarter mile away from where that burn pit ah, was. You yeah. know? Okay. So, I mean, you, you get there, and everybody's talking about, you know, and this was Friday. Yeah, when it was the, the big day when right, it really started. This, right. Yeah. And, and, you know, there was all this sort of speculation. Yeah. But, you know, there, so that was all going on about a quarter mile away. One of the, the gentlemen that was there, he lives in the Franklin area, and he apparently lives very close to where this guy's business was. You know, and he's saying, well, yeah, there's all these rumors, you know, because it's a relatively small mm-hmm. community, and, you know, two people and charred bodies and stuff, that, that's big news. He was saying, yeah, there's all this activity, you know, outside this particular cleaners and stuff. And so then they were comparing notes, and they were saying, yeah, the, the word is the guy who owns this business in Franklin has leases this property in in McGuanago. Yeah. So I was thinking, hey, this isn't even six degrees of separation. I, I'm sitting here, and, oh, it's right down the road. We can go look at the burn pit where the bodies were or, or go check this out. I'm thinking, what a small world. Wasn't well, it amazing how a story like that was almost hidden in a way because of all the Jamie Clark. I mean, yeah, it's, it was amazing yeah. how that. I mean, that is a huge story, and it it got lost. Oh in yeah, the I, shuffle. I, I mean, the, the criminal complaint is out, and I, I'm reading through the criminal complaint, and I, I mean, it, it's. I mean, they're thinking that this. The guy who allegedly did it, these were employees. One was 21, mm-hmm. one was 41. That's yeah. what they're estimating. And, and, and nobody knows exactly what the the motive was. I mean, normally you get upset with an employee, you fire them. <laughs> you know, it, they, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's just, who knows what this story is. I don't mean to, I don't mean to minimize it. This is, it's a horrible, it's just an absolutely horrible sort of thing. And they, they, they seem like they have a, a very strong case. They, they you know, they, they've gone back and they've recovered security video from like a Home Depot, which um, yeah, he was buying. He bought uh, gasoline there, or he he had the bought... video depicts depi- uh, depicts the defendant alone on January third at ten fifty eight a.m. purchasing four bags of charcoal, lighter charcoal. fluid, yeah. and eight yeah. two by fours. It also depicts the defendant. This time with somebody else on January 4th, purchasing five additional bags of charcoal, a door, and two more containers of lighter fluid. I mean, wow. It's just, it is just incredibly bizarre. And again, we, we have more than our share of these cases in Wisconsin. Yeah, it sure seems like it. Um, but small world. I mean, that's at this party I'm at on Friday night. That's every, what everybody's talking about. Do you, you know, do, do you know anything about what's going on in McGuanago? Do you know anything good, what's going on in Franklin? I don't know anything more than what everybody's saying. But um, yeah, that was, that was a big deal as well. All right. Let us switch gears. Okay. You will remember a couple months ago, Nike generated all sorts of controversy when it did its Colin Kaepernick ad. 
you know, it's kind of like just do it thing. And, and remember, there were some people who said, I'm never going to buy Nike shoes again. And, and Nike got a huge splash. And I, I think at least temporarily some sales went up. People said that they were never going to buy Nike shoes again. But um, ultimately, I, I think pretty much most people did. Well, the, the idea of companies mixing advertising and I don't know different social platforms ha- has been has been increasing. Gillette is the latest one. Now, what does Gillette make? Gillette makes razor blades and it, it makes shaving cream essentially. So, personal hygiene products. They have just come out with a so far internet only ad. It's one minute and forty eight seconds long. It's called We Believe, and in this particular case, it, it's. Remember, their, their, their slogan is, is addressed to men. You know, be the best that you, the best a man can get. This, this video that they have produced, and I'm going to play it for you in just a minute. Unfortunately, I, I can't get you the video over the radio. If you follow me at, at Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 I've got a link, but you can get a link on the Internet as well. The, the video and the narration is accompanied by, I don't know, pictures of men bullying women or young kids that are fighting with each other and things like that. And it keeps coming back to the symptom of the whole slogan of the best a man can get. And the point of this is that the best a man can get is to not be a, a bully, et cetera, et cetera. All right, that's kind of the background on this. Let me play you the audio of the one minute and 48 second ad, um, and you at least get a flavor of, of what it's about. Bullying. The Me Too movement against Toxic sexual harassment. masculinity. Is this the best a man can get? Is it? We can't hide from it. Sexual harassment is taking over. It's been going on far too long. We can't laugh it off. Who's the daddy? What I actually think she's trying to say. Making the same old excuses. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. But something finally changed. Allegations regarding sexual assault and sexual harassment. Once, but she says And there will be no going back. Because we, we believe in the best in men. Men need to hold other men accountable. Smile, sweetie. Come on. To say the right thing. To act the right way. Not cool. Not cool. Some already are. In ways big and small. But some is not enough. Some don't treat each other, okay? Because the boys watching today. Okay, now here's what Gillette says about this. The ad is entitled, We Believe. It begins with a compilation of actions commonly associated with what they call toxic masculinity. 
Uh, the press release says, we believe in the best in men, to say the right thing, to act the right way. Some already are, but a some is not enough, because the boys watching today will be the men of tomorrow. Again, that's it. Um, Gillette says that they are using this as a way to promote change in society. Um, it is time we acknowledge that brands like ours play a role in influencing culture. And as a company that encourages men to be their best, we have a responsibility to make sure we are promoting positive, attainable, inclusive, and healthy versions of what it means to be a man. Uh, so they say that this is what's out there we're going to be donating a million dollars a year for the next three years to various nonprofit organizations designed to help men of all ages achieve their personal best all right if you look at social media response this particular advertisement went over like a lead balloon 414-799-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line how do you react to this should we applaud gillette for doing this or should Gillette, I don't know, kind of stay in there? Is this one where you say stay in your lane, you're there to sell razor blades or shaving cream, not preach to people about what you believe is toxic masculinity? All right, is this going to be successful, and how do you react? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss in just a moment. 117, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 120, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, I played you the audio of the new Gillette ad. It's called Toxic Masculinity. And, and it's tough to assess it, I acknowledge, just hearing the audio. But, but what, what the video that accompanies it is just various examples of men behaving badly. Uh, kids that are fighting with each other. Two boys that are fighting with each other. And boys that are running. And, um, you know, a, a guy that's leering at a, a woman. And then another situation where somebody is faking like he's going to grab a woman's backside on a TV show and everybody's laughing. And so th- those are the different videos. And again, you know, Gillette is saying, well, you know, here, we're going to denounce this toxic masculinity. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's go to the text line first. I'm usually not a fan of these kind of messages by a corporation, but it does play with their slogan. Being a man, it's better than others, I guess. Uh, I have to watch the video for final decision. Let's see. Here's another one of the texts. I think this is a great idea in general. Teaching the next generation to be respectful and honorable gets a thumbs up from me. All right, here's another text. I hate being demonized because I am a man. Women bully people as well. Women also sexually harass people. But you never hear that in today's media because it doesn't fit the narrative. I am tired of being typecasted as being a bad person simply because I am a man. Now, it's interesting because, like I said, the the overall reaction, at least the initial reaction to this ad, was overwhelmingly negative. Now, of course... It's been watched a lot. It had been watched more than 2 million times on YouTube in 48 hours. Currently, at least as of the time of the story that I, I last looked at, 23,000 likes and 214,000 dislikes, and it's increasing all the time. Now, you might say, okay, Jeff, I don't get it. Why could anybody dislike this? I mean, certainly you're, you're not... You're not in, endorsing, you know, boorish behavior or this type of toxic masculinity. And no, and I'm not, and I don't think a lot of other people are. But the objection that I think a number of people have is that if you watch this, it's it sort of, you, you get kind of the impression it spends all this time 
exposing behavior that men have been criticized for. And I think if, if you get this, there's a lot of people out there, a lot of guys who look at this and say, I'm not a bully. I am not a, a sexual harasser. And this idea that you're putting this out there makes it sound like all men, you know, fit into this category and, and all men have to feel chastised because, you know, we must have done something wrong. And the truth is, um, you know, that's that is not the case. All right, here's Chris who texts. I saw the ad, and I think it's creative. The whole problem with the new PC movement is not countering bad behavior but restricting the voice of others. I have a teenage boy who is very respectful of women, and the culture we are breeding is very toxic. What's happening is men are being stripped of any masculine identification. Well, I don't I don't know that I think that's the case necessarily either. But you do watch this, and you get this idea that, well, this is Every guy out there, you know, has to be an abuser. Every guy out there has to be guilty of this type of misbehavior. And I think that's where it's grossly unfair. Now, does Gillette get to do this if they want to? Absolutely. Of course they do. And my guess is, regardless of what the short-term impact is, whether there's blowback or not, this probably all this probably all blows over. What ends up happening is, just like with the Nike ads, you get the attention for the moment. It's stuff that people are talking about, and then people go back to normal. Do I believe that people are going to stop buying Gillette razor blades because they've done this ad? You know, probably, probably not. If their point is we want to get a debate about this going on, well, then I, I think that they they have accomplished it. But to me, the interesting thing is it used to be that you had companies, when they were trying to sell products, they wanted to steer clear of controversy. We want you to buy our shoes. We want you to buy our, our pizza. We want you to buy our toothpaste. We want you to buy our, um, our, our shaving cream and razor blades. That's what the goal was. Now a number of these companies are deciding, okay, we're, we're going to identify certain causes and we're going to jump on them and see where it ends up going. And in this case, uh, it's a one minute and 48 second spot. I, I think at the end of the day, do, do I personally have a problem with the ad? Well, only to the extent that, again, it implies that, that all men are boorish harassers. And I, maybe that's the Me Too narrative, but we know that that's, that's not true. As opposed to, you know, given toxic masculinity, I don't exactly know what what that means if it means again you don't want kids fighting or you don't want kids behaving in males behaving in boorish behave boorish fashions towards women well you got to be all in favor of that at the same time do you need to be lectured by in this case gillette time will tell 414-799-1620 let's take one call scott in milwaukee scott you're on wtmj hey thanks for taking the call hi scott sure. uh, you know, I've I've seen the ad. I've you know I listened to it again uh, on your show here. Mm -hmm. I took it a whole different uh, avenue. I I took it as uh, you know corporate America and forces outside of family uh, teaching our children. We're you know we're you know as as opposed to this is a parent's responsibility. This is a father's responsibility in teaching a son. Uh, right, you, you and you found it like it's it's preaching, you know, it, it's preaching to the family. I get it, sure. Yeah, well, yeah, and it's it's they have no place in in doing that. Uh, they should, as you said before, you know, 
they should sell razors. Uh, they should sell lotion. That's what that's their right. shaving that's cream. Their responsibility. Yeah, right? that is their responsibility. It's not their responsibility to 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 rear children. That is a, that is a parent's responsibility. Yeah. And, no, I'm with That's you, Scott. How I took it. No, thank, thanks for calling. It's interesting. I have an ad here. Maybe the ads next time should target rap music, considering how it belittles and demeans women. Yeah, that wouldn't that be an interesting one? That's the next one that Gillette's going to come out of as part of the Me Too movement here. Look, look at some of these rap stars and some of the lyrics here and what that says about women. Maybe we should jump on that bandwagon. Wouldn't hold your breath waiting for that one. 127, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. <laughs> One thirty-six, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, now if you happen to think the three hundred fifty dollars, I, I so I'm, I'm telling you this, and I, I got all this feedback from people who said they thought I was making that story up, and including my wife, I couldn't. She said, I was listening to you. I couldn't believe that story, and she was with a friend of hers. So oh, we went to the internet, we Googled this, and yeah, it, it was there. And Neiman Marcus has them for like. or whatever. And it's like, yeah, well, let's, let's not rush out and buy the grandkids those. Now, of course, if you, if you do have 350 or 360 bucks to drop on a beanie, you can also, um, you might as well go the whole way. The parkas, there are $1,000. $1,000 for a parka. I'm sure it's a nice parka. Hey, good news from the world of sports. And this, it's going to be a fun season for the Brewers. There's no question about it. The the Brewers definitely, I, I think, overperformed, or at least they surprised experts by coming within one game of the World Series. Ever since Mark Atanasio and his investors, his partners, bought the team, it's been very clear that they're about winning a World Series for for Milwaukee. And they've certainly shown over the years that they're willing to pony up the dough when it when it comes to have a chance to do it. Well, they had a very, very good team last year. But uh, among the position players, and I understand there's some national pundits, and I, I listen to like MLB radio on the satellite radio, and they, they still think that the Brewers aren't going anywhere unless they get another starting pitcher or two. I'm not sure I buy that. But if you if you look at the team last year, statistically, the two weak spots were catching and, and second base. And what they did is, and they announced that the signing of Jasmani Grand, Grandal today, who was, I, I think, by all it, it, a consensus, he was the best catcher on the market. And for a variety of reasons, including the fact that he's had two bad playoff series two years in a row but he's he's a switch hitter he hits with power particularly from the left side he's viewed as a pretty good catcher i understand he had some problems he was playing for the dodgers against the brewers and kind of had a real bad series but collectively everybody thought he was the best catcher on the market today and the brewers went out and, and got him and uh, announced today it's a one-year deal. They're spending somewhere, depending on how you figure it, between 16 and $18 million bucks for him. But it, and, and they have an option to, to bring him back again. But it's, it's a one-year deal. So they've clearly, I think they've said, okay, well, we, we need to get better at, at catcher. We need to get better at second base. And what they're going to do, at least at catcher, is, is they brought in the, the top free agent catcher on the market. And it's exciting. They, you know, Craig Council, the manager, they asked him, you know, what was the, what did you think when, you know, you heard the news that we, the Brewers had signed him? And the reaction was, was wow. Uh, they, they're estimating the payroll is going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of like 120, you know, million dollars. Um, maybe 125 million dollars up significantly. But again, it shows the Brewers commitment to winning. I think this is going to be a very, very fun year. All right. That is on the baseball field. What is not fun? is the ongoing 
shutdown of the government. Earlier today, uh, Congressman Glenn Grothman was on uh, on the radio with Steve Scafidi, and Steve was asking him a, a couple questions about how long do you think this might go? And I don't want to misquote the congressman, but I, I, I thought I heard him say, oh, this could easily go another month or two. And you're, you're shaking your head. That's what he said. He's easily go another month or two. Well, this is already the longest shutdown in government history. Now, it's only a partial shutdown, but it is it is a shutdown. And you have federal employees who are either furloughed or who are working without being paid. You have a, a number of people. And again, it, it depends on what federal agency you're dealing with. But if you're expecting, let, let's say you've, you're looking for a grant application, well, that, that's not getting processed because there, there's nobody there to process that. So you're kind of out of, of luck if you're waiting for certain permit approval, depending on how you deal with the federal government. Well, you're, you are kind of out of luck. If you are in a business that sells stuff to the federal government, Again, depending on what agency you are dealing with, you're you're not doing any business. I mean, you're you're again, you're on you are on hold because the federal government is quote unquote shut down. Now, this particular shutdown, I mean, ultimately all the federal employees are going to go back to work at some point in time, and all of them are going to be paid, including the people who are on furlough. They're they're going to get paid for for not working. But meanwhile, You've got people who are working and they are not being paid, and you have this pain that is starting to spread out across the country, again, from people who deal with the federal government. On top of that, as I have been arguing since the beginning, this is just no way to run a railroad. It just – I mean, I think it makes the government look just incredibly bad – and it's an example of dysfunction given the fact that you you can't reach a settlement here. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of blame to go around. Um, A number of Democrats who now say, well, we're not going to commit one dime to building any sort of wall or fence or whatever, are the same ones who 10 years ago voted for, you know, lots of money to go to build walls and fencing, which clearly do I think, you know, building a wall solves all the immigration problems? No, I don't. But does it have a role in dealing with border security? Yes, I do. But you have Democrats who, many of whom, I think, you know, if it wasn't Donald Trump pushing this, would have no problem doing that and voting for it. And it voted for it in the past. But they won't go along with it because they give President Trump a win. On the other hand, you have President Trump, who has promised his base for the last several years that he's going to get he's going to get a wall. And this is probably his last best chance to do that. And if he doesn't get money for a wall, well, he's going to be viewed as as a loser, I I guess. And maybe he's afraid that some of his base is going to turn on him, even though, again, while I think a wall has a role in securing the border, is it going to be the be all end all? No, but both sides are dug in. The Democrats in the House have the votes and don't want to give President Trump anything that's going to look like a victory. President Trump has kind of painted himself into a corner. He said he's got to have this wall, and if he can't get the funding for it, he's willing to let the government shut down. So that is the dynamic. Meanwhile, this goes on and on and on. Well, one of the stories that's starting to percolate now is the whole question of will Republicans bail on President Trump? Republicans, now keep in mind, you could pass a continuing spending resolution. And the president could veto it. 
But if you have enough Republicans that vote with the Democrats, you could override that and get the government back working. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should Republicans bail on the president and get the government back open? 414-799-1620. And what would be the consequence of that? We're back with your calls in just a moment. First, though, breaking news. Um, here's Elizabeth Bar- well, Elizabeth, Melissa Barkley. Hi, Melissa. Hi. UK, uh, UK Prime Minister Theresa May has lost a crucial vote on her Brexit plans in the House Commons. The UK's lower House of Parliament may lost a vote by 230 votes after lawmakers voted by 432 to 202 to reject that deal. That is breaking news happening right now. Again, uh, the Brexit deal not going through. Jeff? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Should Republicans join with the Democrats, vote to fund government, and then vote in enough numbers so that they can override the veto? Is it time to get the government open? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 145, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 147, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Look, I think there's a ton of blame to go around. In a reasonable world, what happens is... Democrats say, okay, I tell you what, we're going to give you $2.5 billion to put towards a wall as part of border security. The president says, all right, well, I wanted $5 billion, but okay, I'll take $2.5 billion. I'll sign the stuff. Boom. Thing opens up, and then you've solved it. Now, this is, we live in crazy times. Democrats won't do that because the resistance part of the party doesn't want to give Donald Trump anything that would look like a victory. From his perspective, Donald Trump, he, he can't give in on the wall. I mean, he has made this his signature point, and he needs some funding for it. So I, I think you're, you're looking at a very, very long government shutdown that's going to start hurting other people. Now, the one option that's out there is you could have Republicans in the Senate and in Congress who say, look, you know, we, we support a wall. But, you know, we can't allow the pain to continue. So what we're going to do is we're going to fund the government. And if the president vetoes it, we're going to vote with the Democrats, override them. We're going to get the government back open and then we'll move the wall discussions down the road. 414-799-1620. Should they do that? All right. Let's start with John in Milwaukee. John, you're on WTMJ. John. Yeah. Hi, John. Don't say bad words. You're on the air. Yeah. I think, in fact, I, I already sent an email about a week ago to Ron Johnson urging him to do exactly uh, what you're suggesting apparently is now floating around, and I think it's absolutely what the Republicans need to do. If, if the Republicans want to avoid another bloodbath come the next uh, election, mm-hmm. they, they need to disassociate themselves from this president on this issue. Mm-hmm. He... Uh, yeah. He, I mean, there's just no two ways about it. The guy, he has, he has lied in order to, and and. Well, let me ask you this: If they let, let's talk about the pure politics of it. If if Republicans were to do that en masse, what what we were just talking about, would that cause? Would you have a civil war in the Republican Party, and just would it completely fracture over the people that bailed on the president versus the people that decided to hang tough? I guess I think I mean all they need is and there have to be I'm sure there are there are there are there are either 10 
there are ten Republican senators who are either like Ron Johnson, not not worried about reelection, or number two, in districts uh, or in states where they're not going to get hurt by right. standing up to Trump. And all you need is ten. Um, Right, and then you're, and then you've got the veto overridden. No, thanks for calling. I mean, I, I just, I, I throw that out as an idea. And I'm getting a number of texts that, that look, that, that correctly say, well, what about the Democrats? The Democrats aren't caving in. And I, that's, I started this. This is why it's so frustrating to me because sometimes these government shutdowns have been on big issues of principle. That this, this is just about. I don't know who has the bigger hammer. That's that's what this is, because, again, many of the Democrats who now refuse to give a dime for fencing or whatever have already voted for this. This isn't it. Look, it's not controversial, at least. I mean, a couple billion dollars. I understand a billion dollars here, a billion dollars there. But it's a four point four point four trillion dollar budget. Okay, if. If you have the president and 40 percent of the country who says, look, a, a border wall is important to trying to add to security. And by the way, five billion dollars doesn't get you a wall across the whole United States border, but it, it gets you money to put, you know, more fencing in certain areas. This this is not this huge issue on principle. It's just about, well, our side can't give in. So there's all sorts of fault that, that's out there. At the same time, don't we need to get the government open? Let's talk to Mark in Heartland. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Mark. Um, how you doing? Good. Uh, using your words, and I greatly appreciate um, your stances on virtually every issue. Using your words, life is tough. Get a helmet. Mm-hmm. Everybody has gone through hardship, at least everybody I know in my life. There are various avenues for these federal workers to be compensated and or go on unemployment, et cetera, et cetera. We have had a multiple number of government shutdowns in the past. Both sides have brought us to this point. You yep. just mentioned some of the parts where virtually every prominent Democrat six to eight to ten years ago voted for ten times this amount for a border wall, et cetera, et cetera. One side is obviously the Democrats think they smell blood in the water, and they're going for it. They are intransigent. They have not done anything. They think just like the confirmation of Judge Kavanaugh, they are going to pull out all stops, not back off one inch. That is not compromised government. The only way you close that argument down is becoming just as intransient on the other side. And right now, just like your caller a couple of callers ago, people are calling their congressmen, their senators on both sides of the aisle. And they may be mentioning that I know a federal employee or mm-hmm. I am a federal employee. Do something. Now, I, you had a caller with Steve Scafidi's show this morning that said, oh, no, I believe it was Congressman Grossman, that State of the Union is coming up. President Trump is doing a dereliction of duty if he does not lay out step by step why this border wall or fence or whatever you want to right. call it is not an integral part. It, in other words, it should be an integral part of protecting not only the people on our southern border, but the integrity of our nation itself, as Congressman Grossman pointed out this morning. Isn't it frustrating to you that we're where we are on, on this issue? Because, I, I mean, I, I see, I, I, I 
I agree with you. I mean, politics is the art of, of compromise. And, you know, a couple billion dollars in spending for something that I think reasonable people can argue has an effect. That seems to, it seems to me ridiculous that this is the hill that the Democrats have chosen to die on. President Trump has, of course, backed himself into a corner. And now we have all this collateral damage over something that, you know, if it was a different time and a different president, I don't think it would even it, it, it wouldn't even come up as a footnote into spending. That's totally true, and and I think reasonable people, like uh, Congressman Grossman said this morning, when they are exposed to the actual facts, and let's hope they are exposed to the actual facts by our media, and I'm talking about our national media, I think the American people are firmly behind that something has to be done on our southern border. Now, can I add one more quick thing, Jeff, and I know I'm... Sure, go ahead. Here. Sure, go ahead. When you just say we can do this with drones, or electronic security, and another government, and sooner or later there'll be another Democrat president, and there'll be another totally Democrat Congress, they will back off just like President Obama did, and that virtual wall will become virtually yeah. invisible. And I guess, I, I'd see, Mark, I, I've kind of come around a little bit on the wall. I, do, I, I, I never thought it made sense to have 18th century technology, but I, at the same time, I, I do appreciate that physical barriers in certain parts along the border, you know, make make sense. And and we've had physical barriers at certain parts of the border. And, and to me, this idea of spending some money on enhancing some of that, this would not have been controversial were it not Donald Trump. I mean, here here is the issue. Democrats look at the polls. They think they've got a winning issue. And so they're intransigent. Uh, the president is intransigent. Meanwhile, all the people that work for the federal government or that deal with the federal government in some way, shape, or form, they're the ones left high and dry. And I, I mean, I will tell you, I don't see an end in sight. One fi- and that's frustrating. It's 155. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 207, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Melissa, do you think you should tip flight attendants? Mm, no. Have you ever thought of that? No, I've never thought of You've that. Never thought of that. No. Okay. All right. Well, then you want to pay attention to this next next segment. Now, um, when when I fly, and I actually, I, it's, it's almost always for like leisure travel. I'm trying to think. I typically I fly Southwest the most. A lot of flights to the places I go. I like Southwest. Um, I've flown Delta recently. When we go to Key West, we fly Delta, and and I like that. Uh, when we're coming back from Europe, we flew Lufthansa. Very very good airline. Other than the fact that the guy in front of me, Hans, decided to recline his seat into my lap for nine hours, but I'm over that or, or not. But Lufthansa, I mean, good service and things like that. I would say I've been on Frontier Airlines. I've been on Frontier maybe once in the last five years. And, and needless to say, Frontier is one of those discount airlines where, well, it's kind of one step ahead of Greyhound, but only like one step ahead of Greyhound. It's sort of it's sort of like taking the dog, but you're in the air. So anyhow, I, Frontier, I, I'm not necessarily a fan, but I understand these discount airlines, they carve out a, a certain niche. I, I get that. So anyhow, Frontier, without a lot of attention, about a year and a half, two years ago, they started subtly allowing you to tip flight attendants. And what would happen is now nobody takes cash if you buy liquor on a plane. You know, if you buy something, nobody takes cash. So you have to pay for credit card. And what they did is is on the credit card thing when they'd give you the little tablet, you could add a tip in 
for the cost of the drink or or whatever. But they didn't really encourage it or promote it. And what happened is if you if you tipped for example, someone, what they would do at the end of the flight is they they pool their tips. So you know everybody that was part of the crew, not the not the pilot, not the co-pilot, but but everybody that was part of the service crew, they they would they would share the tips. Now that didn't get advertised a lot. Um, Frontier has now taken it a, another step. Effective, well, two weeks ago, Frontier announced that flight attendants will be accepting individual tips in exchange for the food and beverage services they provide. Um, again, this is a, an extension of that that service that they provided. But unlike what they used to do where they would share tips, now it goes to the, the flight attendant. So all the flight attendants will be allowed to pocket their tips without the need to share those additional earnings with their colleagues. Most of, okay, United Airlines doesn't allow this. They, they say you, you're not allowed to take tips. Delta and Southwest discourage discourage this from from discourage workers from doing it, discourage people from doing it. But Frontier is now saying, okay, we're we're, we're we are going to encourage people to give them a tip. So uh, the flight attendant's walking down the way, you know, she gives you your diet coke or she gives you your lemonade or whatever. You know, they'll say, hey, if you want to give her five bucks or whatever, that's, you know, go ahead. And the flight attendant is allowed to keep it. Now, it is interesting because the flight attendants and the flight attendant union isn't in favor of this. Now, you might say, why wouldn't they be in favor of this? Well, first of all, they, they think in, in some respects it's demeaning because they don't think in, that flight, they think being a flight attendant is more than being a a waiter or a waitress. And by the way, I don't think being a waiter or a waitress is demeaning. I'm just saying that's what the flight attendants union is arguing. You know, they're, they're more than just waiters or waitresses. Secondly, what they're arguing is that they think that this is ultimately this plan by Frontier to cut the wages of flight attendants, who they then say, hey, look, okay, now it's not just your wage, it's not just your salary. What you're also getting is these tips, so we shouldn't have to pay you as much. You know, the whole theory behind why restaurant workers, for example, you know, have a different minimum wage than other workers do. So this is the battle that's out there now. Frontier has started something, and they're very upfront about it. You know, you, if you're flying Frontier, you are encouraged to tip your flight attendant. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Right, we always have these discussions about who do you tip, what's appropriate to tip, how much do you tip, um, do you tip bartenders, do you, why do you tip bartenders, and why do you tip waiters or waitresses, but not people at fast food places, uh, do you tip your hairdresser, you know, where do you draw the line? Now this is flight attendants. Do you feel that flight attendants should be receiving gratuities? For the services that they provide, you know, coming down, checking you out, you know, giving you the the, the peanuts, or giving you the sodas or whatever. Should we be tipping flight attendants? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I guess more importantly, because nothing's mandatory. I mean, you don't have to do this. But should you do this? Is it appropriate to give flight attendants a tip? And if if you 
I don't know, if you're sitting on the plane and the guy or gal gives you the Diet Coke and the peanuts and the two people in the seats next to you give her two or three bucks or give him two or three bucks, are you going to feel like you're some major cheapskate for not tipping? Gratuities on airplanes. Is it time for this? Will this work? How will people respond on Frontier? 414-799-1620. And should other airlines now actively encourage it? Like I say, United says, no, it's not permitted. And Delta and Southwest say, well, they discourage it. 414-799-1620. Next time on you're on a plane, do you feel compelled to reach in your wallet and give the flight attendant two bucks for giving you, I don't know, the cook, the cookies or whatever? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss in just a moment. 214, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're just tuning in, Frontier Airlines, which is a discount airline, has, has now announced that they are encouraging passengers to tip, provide a gratuity, to the flight attendants starting the beginning of this year. They always had a kind of subtle program on that where if you bought a, if you paid for something with a credit card, there, there was a line where you could put in a gratuity. But now they're actively encouraging people to tip the flight attendants. Would you ever do something like that? Here's my favorite text of the day, crew who's producing the show today and always. Karen from Oconomowoc says, Jeff, I simply love your show. You give me ent- hours and hours of entertainment every week. Where do I send your tip? <laughs> it's a, that's okay. I am not in a profession that takes tips. Don't expect one. Folks at Good Karma are very, very good to me. No problem. Don't need it. I got to tell you something. I, I It would never occur to me to tip a flight attendant, in, in part well, there's, I guess there's a lot of reasons, especially, I, I mean, in, I view it as kind of sort of a profession. Would I would I tip my lawyer? No. I, I mean, is it a service industry? Yeah. But do I tip waiters and waitresses? Yes, of course I do. But that's just not how I view flight attendants. Would I slip a fin to the pilot? Well, if you're going to tip the flight attendant, why aren't you tipping the pilot for getting you there safely? Let's start with Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing? Real well, thank you. Would you tip a flight attendant? No, that's not their <laughs> primary role. They're not a waitress or a wait, you know, waiter or waitress. I mean, their primary role is for safety and, and keeping essentially the cabin organized. I mean, right. it just happens to be kind of a side issue type of thing. But, I mean, that's – and then where does it stop? Then yes. all of a sudden, then it becomes, well – you know, I'm not going to get your pillow for you because once you tip me, you know, it's just, it's, you know, it's kind of like a flippery slope. Well, well, it is. Okay, so let's say, okay, so you go, let's say you're checking baggage. So you, you, you show up in the front, you put your, like at Southwest, you go to the kiosk, you get your own little baggage thing, you go, you take your, your bag and you give it to the person behind the counter and they weigh it and all. Are you supposed to give them five bucks? I mean, well, where yeah, you know, where's the end. line? Where does it get? It doesn't end, you know, and then the thing is, what I, I think it would, you know, I think we just lead to a, a further degradation of service, personally. I mean, that's just the, the way it is. And to me, I don't know, I guess I would look at it as somewhat demeaning because it's kind of like, well, you know, hey, I didn't sign up for this to be a, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a waiter or waitress. Right, and that's not demeaning waiters and waitresses, but everybody no, no. understands if you're a it's waiter or waitress. That's their primary role. Right. That's their primary role. Right, and everybody understands for a waiter or a waitress, their compensation, the, the, the tips, the gratuities, are a, a significant portion of their compensation. That is their compensation. Right. I mean, for all practical purposes. Right. No, no, thanks for going. See, that, I mean, and I guess that's, that's to me, that's the difference. If you, if you go in, again, you, you go into that sit-down restaurant, you understand 
understand that the the waiters or waitresses they're they're living on their tips. It, it's you know there's a minimum there's a minimum wage and it's kind of expected that you know you're going to tip. Now I understand it you're not nobody's forced to do it, but that's the expectation. I, I guess when I when, when I get on an airplane, I am assuming that the flight attendants are compensated. I mean, they, they've got full-time – it's a full-time job, and they're being paid by by the airlines. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Quincy in Milwaukee. Quincy, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Quincy. Um, I think it's not okay to tip because you might be having, like, money problems that you couldn't afford it, so – that's my thoughts on that. Well, yeah, I mean, th- th- I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, it's kind of like, where do you? Again, where I'm not. I'm look. I, I, I like to think of myself, and I think people that deal with me in my real life w- would say that I'm, I'm typically relatively generous as an employer, as, as a tipper. I've, I've always kind of figured that I. I don't know if I'm always going to be in a position in my life to do it, but, you know, an extra two or three bucks here or there to somebody who's provided you good service, I've always figured maybe that means a lot more to them than it does to me. And so I, I always I always try to be a generous tipper. My wife, you know, spent 35 years in the hospitality industry, so she's always kind of saying, okay, well, make sure we leave a couple bucks extra for the bartender or, or whatever. And, and that that's fine with it, but you, you do wonder where do you draw the line? Now, there, look, there's sometimes, for example, when people have you know, made, made deliveries to the house or something, and they've had, I, I don't know, it's it's a particularly big thing or it's a particularly tough delivery or, or whatever, or they've gone out of their way to do something nice or, you know, to make sure something works. H- have I ever, you know, given somebody an extra five or ten bucks or something? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll do that when I feel that it's appropriate. But this idea that you should somehow feel obligated to give a flight attendant, you know, a, a tip when she's pushing, or he, I don't mean to be sexist, when they're pushing the cart down the, the aisle saying, hey, you know, what would you like to drink? I've got Diet Coke, I've got ginger ale, and here, do you want some peanuts along with it? I, I'm sorry, I'm not I, I'm not going that route. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Whenever I take a trip involving a plane, I usually feel like I'm being overcharged and just nickel and dimed for, like, like all the different services and stuff, and... When they add stuff like this on, it makes me even less apt to to travel with the airplane. Um, yeah, no, th- thanks for call. And again, I, one of the things that I think is interesting here is, I mean, the flight attend the flight attendants union doesn't want this. They're fighting frontier on this again because number one, they think it, they they, they don't think it it is respectful to the business. And I, I, I hesitate to even talk about this because I understand there's a, a lot of people who their, their business depends on tips, but that's just the way that structure is set up. But secondly, they're concerned that this is the stalking horse for reducing the salary. Now, here's one. Um, let's see. Tell me, Mr. Wagner, what's wrong with why shouldn't you tip an airplane pilot. Ten years ago today, uh, Mr. Sullenberger, Captain Sullenberger, landed the plane in the Hudson River. I think he would have deserved the tip. Thank you. I'm sorry, that's a, that's just me letting out a heavy sigh. I, I, I don't know what to say to stuff like that. No, I, 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 don't, I don't think being an airplane pilot, and I have the deepest respect for airplane plane pilots and bus drivers, but it's... I think you get a salary, and, and I don't think that you know you should expect tips from passengers. And I mean, I I don't know. Wouldn't that be a little bit awkward? You know, when the pilot's standing there at the okay, give you an example. I I typically I, I go to a place downtown and I take a shuttle to the Marquette games, and then I take it back to kind of save on parking. Well, I will typically give the kid who drives the shuttle a buck or two. 
All right. And, and it, it's just because, well, I, do you have to? No, but I think it's the right thing to do. Some people do. Some people don't. I don't know. If I was getting off the plane, you know, and the pilot and the crew were all standing there, what am I supposed to do? Like five bucks, ten bucks? Oh, you know, here you're the co-pilot. You get ten. Pilot, thank you. You got twenty. Hey, that was kind of a tough landing, getting into Key West in the rain. Here, here's fifty. I just, I don't think that that's really where we are. We're at. I don't think it's a tipping industry. In another text, flight attendants get paid significantly more than I do. There's no way I am tipping them for handing me my ginger ale. You would be surprised, actually, though, at how little flight attendants make. Here's another. Text. What about a crossing guard helping kids cross the street? Um, would, would you tip them? Um, here, Jeff, I'm, I don't believe it's needed to tip flight attendants. I'm noticing now when you pick up food at a restaurant to go, they have tip jars. Where does it end? Will we have to tip fast food workers or convenience store cashiers because they gave somebody a pack of cigarettes? This is always one of the interesting things. I think I, I told this story before. Let's say... All right, there's there's a restaurant that I go to from time to time, and on some occasions, and, and I, I'll order a pizza to go, but I, I, I won't call ahead. It'll be like you're in the area, and say, I think I'm going to get a pizza. It happens less now that I'm married. But it, what I would do is I would stop off. I would go. I would sit at the bar. And then, you know, I, I'd order the pizza from the bartender at the bar, have a beer, waiting for it to be done. Wasn't eating at the bar, but, you know, they'd bring me the pizza. In that case... I, I would leave the bartender a tip. I'm not sure it would be a 15 or 20% tip, but you know they took the order, they brought it to me, they served me a drink, so I leave a little bit of money. Um, again, maybe not as much as if I had sat down and eaten, but that to me is appropriate. But yeah, I, I do admit, I, I kind of wrestle with that. You go to, I don't know, Panera or something, you order your whatever, and they've got the tip jar there, and you know, I... That that's more difficult. I'm not ready to give flight attendants tips though, but I'm not flying Frontier anytime soon either. Two twenty five, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two thirty five, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Hey, um, you know we're we're talking about all the the major problems that are out there in the world. This Brexit Brexit thing, and I I referred to this a little bit earlier. This is a big deal. Um, during the break, I, I immediately was wondering if any this is having any effect on the U.S. stock market today, and it's not. The Dow up 120 and NASDAQ up 105. But but this, this is a, a big deal. If you haven't been following it, just let me kind of give you a Cliff's Notes version of this. Great Britain is part of the, the European Union. And now, Great Britain doesn't use the euro, but it's it's the common current currency but also it's free trade it's it's like here we're like one big happy set of countries sort of like when you move i don't know when a truck comes in from illinois to wisconsin a different state it's not like going to a different country you know we we have this interstate travel and interstate trade well you know in europe You've got different countries, and the European Union, the agreement they have, and I, I understand I'm oversimplifying this, but it allows goods to go back and forth between countries without, you know, having to go through. Gee, what happens if we're trying to, like, if we're trying to import something from from China here? You've got all, you got to go through customs, you got to go all do all that sort of stuff because you've got the European Union and you've got all these mutual trade agreements. You, you don't have to go through that. Well. Um, there have been some populists, I guess, in, in Great Britain who thought, in essence, that Great Britain was getting shafted under various trade things as part of the European Union. So they were pushing for 
let's withdraw from the European Union. Um, the former prime minister of Great Britain thought, all right, here's the way we're going to handle this. We'll we'll have a referendum on this. We'll make it a binding referendum and because I don't think it's going to pass, and this will put everything to, to rest. David Cameron was his name. So they have the referendum, and surprise follows surprise, it passes. So now Great Britain's in this position of, oh, my God, we got to figure out how to get out of this. So for the better part of the last year, they've been negotiating with the European Union as to how to get out of this. But the problem is, of course... If they just leave, it creates th- these huge, huge issues. All right, well, what do, what do we do if we want, you know, if we want to send goods across to France or, you know, France wants to send stuff to us? How do we handle something like this if we don't have this open trade that Brexit allowed? So the current prime minister has been negotiating terms of an exit deal. Well, the, the problem, and it, it kind of, it shows that Great Britain is dysfunctional like we are dysfunctional. The problem is you have some members of her government, including her party, who don't think that this deal that she's negotiated goes far enough. We should just have nothing to do with Europe, the rest of Europe at all. We'll be better off. And then you have the opposition party who doesn't really know what they think on the issue, but they don't want to get involved because, hey, this is, if we can figure out a way to bring down the conservative leadership, we, we can we can do this. So it's just been a mess. Theresa May negotiates the best deal she possibly can, or at least that she says she can, because there, there's got to be a deal in place by the end of March or else, boom, Britain's out. And today that deal went in front of Parliament and it got voted down overwhelmingly. So nobody knows where you go from here. I mean, Parliament said, hey, we're, we're not in favor of this. The problem is you've got one of the many problems is the folks, you know, all the other countries that are in Brexit, they don't have a they don't want to see Britain leave, Great Britain leave in the first place. And they don't have a desire to cut them a break. So now, you know, Great Britain said, OK, no, we're not going to approve this this compromise that the prime minister has cut. But nobody knows where you go next, because the European Union saying, hey, we're not giving you any better deal. So you guys figure it out. And um, I was curious as to whether there was going to be a spill off into the U.S. markets. And, and at least right now, the answer is no. The British markets are closed. So be interesting to see what happens um, again, what happens overnight. But this. You know, it's everywhere you look, you, you've got dysfunctional governments. You've got the federal government of the United States closed because we're hassling over a little bit of funding for a, a border wall. Um, and you've got the Democrats who voted for the for many of whom voted for border walls before. But the government's closed. People aren't getting paid. You know, no way to run a railroad, no way to run a railroad. Brexit is just an absolute nightmare and it's going to get worse. <sighs> It shouldn't be this hard. It just, I mean, it just shouldn't be this hard. Gru, if you and I ran things, you know, you'd be able to work stuff like this out. Unfortunately, we do not run things. All right. As a student of pop culture, we have talked on multiple occasions on this program about the ongoing trend that people have had towards cord cutting, cutting the cord, which is a reference to years and years and years ago. The, the way you got entertainment services. I mean, when I was a kid, 
You, you know, all the television was over the air. You know, you had the antenna that was on the TV set or on the top on your roof, and you got, you know, the three major channels, ABC, CBS, and NBC. And around here, if you were growing up, you got Channel 18 and 24, and then you got Channel 10, which was the PBS one, and that was pretty much it. And then you had this thing that came in and changed everybody's life called cable television. And when I say cable television, I am speaking generically about kind of the the pay per view television. I, I, when I say cable, I'm talking. I'm including like the the satellite dishes and things like that. But but it just changed everybody's life. And all of a sudden, my God, you're not just stuck with three or four or five channels. You you've got this universe of stuff that's out there. I mean, who knew that there were all these different things that were out there? And so for years and years, cable TV was the thing to have. And then you had the pay-per-view services like the HBOs and stuff that came up. And we could, we'll show you semi-first-run movies and all these different things. And, and everybody paid money to the cable company or to the satellite provider. And then technology evolved. And a number of people said, all right. Why do I need to pay all this money to these cable companies and get all these channels, most of which I've got 200 channels, but I only watch the same eight anyways? Why am I paying for 192 channels that I don't watch? Why shouldn't I be able to watch just what I want to see? And then you had some of these streaming services like Netflix. And if you have an Internet connection at your house, you can go and you can sign up for Netflix. And I, I will tell you, I was kind of late to the party on Netflix, but it it is amazing. I mean, there, other than the fact that it's very difficult to find what is on Netflix, um, it's always a struggle. Gru, do you find that too? Just trying to navigate around to see what's on Netflix. But I mean, you've got you've got movies, you've got older movies, you've got new movies, you've got made for Netflix TV things, you've got a lot of uh, you know TV shows that you can binge watch and stuff. It, it, it's just amazing. It's all the entertainment that you could possibly watch during the Christmas break. I mean, I, I binge watched a whole set of, of series. So you, you've got Netflix that is out there, and a lot of people I know because you know we have spoken about this have decided we're gonna we, we don't need cable anymore. All we'll do is we'll have our internet connection. We'll have a couple streaming services. Netflix will be one of them. Maybe we'll have, you know, the Amazon one, Hulu, whatever, and we'll have the over-the-air antenna. And, and who needs to spend $200 a month and send it to um, to uh, the, the, the cable company, Spectrum Cable or DirecTV or whatever? Okay, and that's as fine as, as far as it goes. Well, here's the story today. Netflix announced that it is raising its U.S. prices by, depending on which which thing you have at Netflix, by 13 to 18 percent. This is the biggest increase since the company launched its streaming service 12 years ago. It also comes on the heels of another price increase that they did a little bit over a year ago. Their most popular plan will see the largest hike. It'll go from 11 bucks a month to $13 a month. Um, okay, then there, there's other plans as well. The price for the cheapest plan is going up to $9 a month. A premium plan offering ultra-high definition will jump to $16 a month from $14 a month. Most of us, me included, I've got the... Um, I've got the $11 plan, and so it, it's now going to go to, to 13 Um So you're, you're talking about, percentage-wise, a pretty large bump. And a number of people are, Netflix says, 
well, the cost of our programming and services are going up, and, and we still think that this is a really good deal. The new prices immediately affect all new subscribers and then roll out to existing customers during the next three months. Uh, Netflix, well, they've got millions and millions of people that subscribe to this, and they obviously think that, you know, the people are going to continue to pay for this. Let's tee this up. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The reason a lot of people cut the cord and went to alternatives was because it was a lot cheaper. Well, now you have one of those major alternatives who, for the second time in a little over a year, has had a major price bump. And my guess is it's going to continue to get larger. So are these alternative services for all the cord cutters out there, the people who love Netflix, the fact that you're now going to have to pay, I don't know, an extra 20 to 30 bucks more a month for Netflix? Is that going to make you rethink your decision, or will Netflix be just fine? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What's the future of Netflix? Is it just such a great service that who cares about a couple bucks here and there? Or at some point in time, will you say, you know, I, I don't. I don't need this, and I'm looking for a cheaper alternative or a scaled-down alternative. I don't need all these different movies that are available, and I don't need all these different TV series, and I don't want to pay 13 bucks a month. 414-799-1620. What's the Netflix of the future going to look like, and are they cutting their own throats by increasing their costs? 247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We discuss in just a moment. Two forty nine, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're just tuning in, Netflix, which is clearly has revolutionized the entertainment industry. Netflix, and, and it's interesting, they're they're hemorrhaging money because even though they're incredibly popular, the cost of of getting the, the material, the cost of getting the product that they end up distributing is, is very very high. And so, I mean, the story I'm looking at says the company burned through about $3 billion last year. Um, they got a negative cash flow, so they're borrowing heavily to pay for programming. And what they just announced this week is that they are going to be increasing the cost for all their services, the most popular service going from 11 to $13 a month. Uh, let's see, I have a text here that says, what's $2? Big deal. I don't call that a major price jump. Well, okay, percentage, obviously, that's what Netflix is hoping people think about. Um, but going from 11 to $13, that's an increase of well over 10%. Now, if I said to you, hey, costs are going to go up 10% for something you're getting every month, chances are you'd probably you know, say, really? Now, maybe because it's just $2 a month and uh, over the course of a year, that's 25 bucks, 24 bucks. It's not going to make any difference. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jason and Big Ben text. Jeff, I believe the price spike won't turn people away from Netflix. The original programming they have spent so much money and the people hooked, they will keep them as customers. The future is all about original programming. If these streaming services hit a home run with an original show, they will have people coming back. And, of course, Netflix has done that. You've got the, the, the prison show, the first one, Orange is the the new black and uh, they had house of cards and they had ozark they've got that on now as well as a number of 
other ones. Um, let's see. Chris says, this is simple supply and demand. I don't have Netflix, but I know a lot of people that do. This is just like any other company. Netflix knows how big they are. Why not inflate the price to make some more money? Um yeah. Okay, here's Kim who says, I'm looking at incorrect info or you. I see a $2 increase for four streams, which I subscribe to from $14 a month to 16 Am I wrong? No, you're right. But there's other different, they have different levels that you can have. The most popular one is the one that costs 11 bucks. That is now going up to 13 So there's all sorts of different ones that end up being out there. Steve says, I will keep paying for Netflix after the price increase. Love Netflix. It's way better than Amazon Prime. My take on this, and again, I'm somebody who kind of came late to the Netflix party. Is it worth $13 a month to me? Yes, it is. I mean, I'm, I admit I'm a TV junkie. I find, I find it to just be overwhelming to be able to just go on there and all the different original programming they have, plus all the different, you know, TV shows. You want to watch Breaking Bad? It's there. You want to watch The Sopranos? It's there. You want to watch, what was the one they just shelled out a lot of money to keep for another year? You want to watch Friends? It, it's there. I think, I think they're still at, at the price point they're at. You know, whether it's 11 bucks or 14 bucks or $16 a month, I, I think people still perceive that there's a really strong value, and I think that they're going to be able to um, do this. I think that that's the outstanding thing. And so I don't think that this is going to cause them to lose a bunch of customers. But, of course, you got to keep in mind, cable TV, cable satellite, you know, they started out with lower prices and gradually increased them, increased increased their prices as well to the point where a lot of people just said, well, you know, it's not worth $99 to me. It's not worth $110. There are these alternatives. Could Netflix get to this point themselves? Absolutely. They could. Are they at that point now? Probably not. And I'm not going to be canceling Netflix over, you know, $2 extra a month. And my guess is most people won't be. But your prices are going up. That's inevitable. It's 253. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa and Greg have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.